an example would be Richard Branson. I remember the first when when he got big and he bought Virgin and he's a billionaire and he wrote this book, Screw It, Let's Do It, way back in the day, a long, long time ago. He said, I'm not the smartest person at Virgin. The reason I'm a billionaire is because I hire people who are smarter than me. That alone is a soft skill. Because he's saying I won't let my ego get in the way because I formed the company. I need to gather around me a team that will take us to where I want to take Virgin, but I don't know the intricacies of getting there, and that's the kind of people I'm going to hire at Virgin. Welcome to Management Development Unlocked, where you will learn how to nurture a world-class management team. And now your host, Eric Gerard. Welcome back to Management Development Unlocked. I am really glad you're here. Please remember to support the show by subscribing, commenting, and sharing. Today, I have Roberta Nzlela with me. Did I say that right? Perfectly said. Thank you, Eric. Awesome. <laughs> Roberta, welcome to the show. You have a very impressive background. Who are you and what do you do? Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. My name is Roberta Nzlela, as Eric so perfectly said my last name. So that is a Zulu last name. I'm, I'm, from, I'm from the Zulu tribe in South Africa. I grew up in this system called apartheid. Some of you may have heard of it. And it changed. It ended when I was 18. At 19, I started my corporate job when my country was going through rapid change. So governments were changing. You had these former freedom fighters now becoming government officials. And that's usually two different skills. Therefore, I started working for a consulting engineering firm. I studied transportation and feasibility studies and transport plans. And when we worked with those consulting engineering, we used to give these politicians a lot of guidance because they had to now integrate what was always divided by law. And one of the things nobody teaches you at school that, hey, wait a minute, it's great that you're smart, but guess what? If you add that, if you add communication skills to being smart, that will accelerate your career even more. We used to think, oh, you're smart, you're going to be successful just because you're smart. But that's not enough in addition to the technical. So I started to notice those things when, first of all, as you know, with politicians, they require a lot of patience. We used to bid for these multi-million dollar jobs, but then there comes a time when they say, oh, that guy is very patient with our political bureaucracy and all the shenanigans, and he knows how to work with us despite how we are as politicians. The next time, we'll just give him the job. He's not even going to bid with the other engineer, engineering companies. That's the first thing I noticed. Because my boss was not the smartest guy, I'm not saying he wasn't smart, but compared to what you would listen to other people in the boardroom, he wasn't, but he went up because he was just really good with people. You have a lot of project teams if you work in those. You have subcontractors, you have joint venture companies. When you have those skills, it really puts you in good stead. A lot of things, good things happen because of that. So that's when I started to take notice. And then the last year that I spent in South, last decade, sorry, that I spent in South Korea, I was teaching English as well. Another soft skill I started to take note of was, hey, if you, know, if you don't know how to be adaptable and, and you find yourself in a strange environment, your mindset and how you view your experiences will determine whether you had teachers who would do what is called a midnight run. 
they'll just don't even tell their school. They'll just, I'm going back to the States. This is too much for me. It's too much adjustment. And I used to think to myself, if you don't train yourself to adjust here for 12 months, a contract is 12 months. What makes you think in corporate America you're going to adjust if things don't go your way? Because basically that's what you're saying. I'm not used to this. It doesn't go. I'm not familiar. So if every time something is uncomfortable because it's not familiar, you run, you're always going to keep running. So it puts you in good stead to master those skills because it, you start to actually have the kind of successes that you're hoping for. I love it. Excellent. Good. Thank That's you. a great opening story. And, and I just learned so much about you in those, in those couple of minutes. So that was, that was really helpful to start that way. So thank you for that. Let's, let's dive deep down on this idea of soft skills. So what do you mean when you say soft skills? The, so the technical is what you go to university for, your engineering, tech, MBA, whatever it is. And it's funny that one of the technical sort of degree skills is communication. <laughs> so we always say people who didn't study communication until master's level, they don't have the opportunity to be for universities to say, hey, wait a minute. In addition to you studying engineering, you also need to know how to present what you just created. You also need to know how to make people understand what it is and how it's going to, and why they should be interested in it in the first place. So they don't say that. You graduated with A pluses and magna cum laude from Harvard. You go to your job interview and you don't know how to sell yourself. You don't know how to tell them why you're an asset to the company. That's a skill that you didn't learn with your subject matter expertise. You don't know how to, you know how a lot of the time, especially if it's your first job, you, you, you know, Eric, you feel like, I, I just want them to make, I'll be so lucky if I get this job. So you bring that energy of, I'll be so lucky just, just to pay my bills. Just Not realizing you are, you are helping them too in some way. Yes, they are going to bring the job. You're going to be lucky to work there. but you are also an asset. So not knowing how to communicate the asset that is you is also a skill that there are people who still go to job interviews and, and they still don't know how to get the job, but they were brilliant at university. And then if you do get the job, you, you sit in a cubicle, you do what you're supposed to, and then one day your boss gets promoted and you're really brilliant at what you do because that's what you studied and, you, and your brain just goes with it. But then when your boss gets promoted, they need somebody to take his position. Usually what companies do is they always, they start at first from junior level at least. When they realize that you produce and you create, they usually would take somebody like that. But then you realize, wait a minute. I really love what I do, but I don't like this leading team and dealing with people stuff. <laughs> this is real. Some people say, oh, it's outside of my comfort zone. Maybe I need some coaching. Some people say, I really don't like people. And either way is okay. But you, that's a skill that is human skills. Simon Sinek says, calls them human-centered skills. He actually says he doesn't like the word soft skills because there's nothing soft about them. They are actually one of the hardest skills to learn. So these human-centered skills are what will determine whether the company can trust you to run big teams and big projects, because big projects you really require big teams and expertise from different um, people. 
So there's nothing soft about them, even though we call them soft skills, because it's, it's, it's things that you learn to acquire over time with practice, with being in situations with people that require you to apply. If a coach says, okay, you need to be emotionally intelligent, what exactly does that mean if, if you've just been promoted? What, 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 what it's, it sounds like beautiful English words, but what exactly does it translate to when someone that you lead comes into your office, something blows up? Or, you know what I mean? How do you make them say, you know, we can figure this out? Or do, do they feel like, oh my goodness, Eric is just going to fire me right now? That's, that's true. I would. <laughs> <laughs> my whole team is scared to death of me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so do you need coaching on emotional intelligence, Eric? <laughs> so yes, it's the it's the human-centered skills and they I don't think anybody in the world has mastered them as such because people are all different and situations are different, but it's just being aware and constantly being in this learning curve and being alert that, hey, wait a minute, what is going on here? Let's step back and assess what's going on. The human part of it, not just the work part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. So let's be, let's, let's be specific now. You've given a couple of examples, but let's, let's drill down even further. So what are the top eight behaviors that make a manager or leader successful? So let's label them. So we have mentioned emotional intelligence, which means when one of your team members loses their temper or throws a tantrum just because the Excel spreadsheet didn't do what it was supposed to, you don't take that energy with you and run with that. But instead, you, you, are, you become the voice of reason in situations like that with your team. Secondly, creating an environment where the team, there's trust. And by trust, we usually mean people must feel that you are approachable. If, if I blow up something, like I said earlier, I mustn't feel like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be fired. I'm going to even be afraid to shoot. You know how some parents will allow their kids to trust them to say, come forward and say, mommy, I broke the glass. I'm sorry. Or should you wait for your mom to count that there's one less glass in the cupboard in the kitchen? And then they say, who broke the glass? So that's a different you see, so if you are approachable, your team can come to you and say, I have this creative idea. What do you think? Or I know you said we should do this, Ella, but I'm thinking if we do it this way, it can take us on this trajectory. And I, I have a feeling that it, we could, it could place us in a better position. One of the things we always say about leaders is they shouldn't buy into this myth that they should know everything. That's not the requirement of the job to know everything more than your team. And so there's no need to wear that mask and to have that impression that, wait a minute, I need to always make them think that I, for them to respect me, that I know everything. It's not necessary. It, it, that trust that I'm referring to is not going to be created by that. So if you are approachable and you create an environment where they can trust that they can approach you with ideas, that's a much better way of leading rather than making them think, oh, he's got all the answers. We'll just wait for him to give us instructions and then we'll just do the job. I think it's Dr. Gary Chapman. He said, when you have a new idea, get your team in the boardroom. Don't say anything. Just put it up on the screen and be quiet and say, this is where I want us to end up. 
how do you think we should get there? And you're going to have all this influx of ideas from all the team members. Everybody thinking, I think you should this. This is the road I think we should take. This is, I think we should go. But if you just say to them, okay, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to get there. And this is how we're going to do it. You've shut down every possibility of anybody coming up with a different idea. People want to, don't want to lose their jobs. They have mortgages and kids. They don't want to seem like, especially in front of their colleagues and their manager, they don't want to seem like they're being rebellious, with the lack of a better word. So if you, you shouldn't speak first in those types of scenarios, obviously different scenarios require different handling. But in scenarios like that, when you let your team have creative ideas, and especially because we work at a time where the younger generation sometimes knows more than us. You know, it's not like before where you know, oh yeah, you're my, back in the 90s, my boss used to know a lot more than I did. He had been there for 50 years. But now it's always good to have this mixture of old generation, Gen X, millennial, everybody together just bringing their ideas to the table and say, what's the best way to tackle this? And then the next thing is, it's funny, all along we call it conflict resolution. This morning I had a guest on my podcast who said, I don't like the word conflict because it means war and somebody's going to lose and somebody, there's going to be a casualty and there's going to be a dead body on the ground. Whenever there's disagreements, we always call it, call it conflict. To him, it's like an escalated level of disagreement. So if there's a disagreement at work, if you disagree either with your teammate or with your leader, the leader has the, has the leverage basically to make the disagreement, to try and, and get the team members to realize that this is the issue we're working with. None of this is personal, no personal attacks, even the way you handle the situation. This, this is the animal we're dealing with here. Let's focus on this. Things, as we said, things like emotional intelligence. Be the kind of leader where you have a balance between micromanaging and not micromanage, nobody wants to remember, but giving giving leeway for your team to be able to come up with these ideas, but also sort of guide the direction. Because, you know, not everybody should go everywhere they want. It. It's going to be chaos. So those are the skills. I don't know if I've mentioned all of them, but those are the skills basically that in order to run it, what we call a, a, a high-performing team, a team that's going to be more productive, engaged, everybody's just excited to come to work. They don't have that sick, feeling, sick stomach feeling Sunday afternoon to say, oh, tomorrow's Monday again. Because that's when they go there, they feel heard. They feel like their ideas matter, even if they're not accepted at that time, but at least they're able to express them. I call those skills power skills. I like that. Yeah. Those are power skills, and, and some of us have superpowers in those skills. Some of us are really good at listening. Some of us are really good at de-escalating conflict. So I, I like how you, you put that. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. My pleasure. Let's, let's put some numbers to this. What's the bottom line benefit of being good at soft skills? So give me, give me some numbers. Give me dollars. Give me percentages. What, what do we get for being good at soft skills aside from just a warm feeling in our, in our heart? Okay, so the first one, you know, everybody wants to be CEO. That's the top position in any job, right? So the first one is LinkedIn data, which shows that 
CEOs spend 20% more time learning soft skills than the average learner. An example would be Richard Branson. I remember the first when, when he got big and he bought Virgin and he's a billionaire and he wrote this book, Screw It, Let's Do It, way back in the day, long, long time ago. He said, I'm not the smartest person at Virgin. The reason I'm a billionaire is because I hire people who are smarter than me. That alone is a soft skill. Because he's saying, I won't let my ego get in the way because I formed the company. I need to gather around me a team that will, the Dr. Gary Chapman example as well, that will take us to where I want to take Virgin, but I don't know the intricacies of getting there, and that's the kind of people I'm going to hire at Virgin. So having those skills is what made him a billionaire. He's not the smartest person. CEOs spend 20% more time learning soft skills than the average person. And then they say, Workers who, when we were talking about the soft skills of a manager, of a leader, and if he were to create a workplace environment with, with those skills, with, in, in that atmosphere, they say that usually those teams perform at a 12 to 20%. They're more productive than teams who don't have that psychological safety, that trust in the workplace. Because you've heard of the concept quiet, quiet quitting. Oh, yeah. I've written about quiet quiet. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I have to, yeah. I have to learn how to say it, but I have written about it. That's right. Quiet quitting. There's a difference between doing the bare minimum. You know how back in the Industrial Revolution, Eric used to do, you, you used to say, okay, I knock off at 4.30. So 4.29, even if... The shirt, the collar of the shirt is underneath the sewing machine halfway through. At 4.30, I'm done. I'm clocking my card and I'm gone. You have people who do the bare minimum if they don't like where they're working or if they don't even like, if the work just doesn't resonate with them and they may be thinking, I don't belong here. I don't even feel like this work, you know, it, it just doesn't resonate with me. So they do the bare minimum just to get paid until they find something better. So obviously not very productive, not very engaged. They just wait for you to give them instructions. If you don't say anything, they don't think of doing anything by themselves. They don't know how to self-manage. And then you have the quiet quitters. So quiet quitters, I don't know if they were responding to the whole pandemic debacle and everything that was going on, but they, they do a little bit more than the above minimum but they're saying, why should I go the extra mile? Especially if you don't get paid overtime, you, you, you ask yourself, why, why should I stay here? If it's 4.30, I'm knocking off. I'll finish this project, part of this project tomorrow. So I think those were the ones classified in a way as quiet quitters. That I'm not, especially one thing that in the United States, corporations have been accused of is People are just working, working. Even when you're at home, you're getting emails from your boss. You're getting phone calls from your boss. You're doing this. He sends you a report. You must do it at 12 midnight. You don't tuck your kids in bed. So people are asking, why should I do those extra things? And then you have the ones who are really dedicated, whether they, I don't know, whether they own stock in the company, whether it's their business or whatever it is, they are happy to do, to work at 12 midnight. Or if it's something they're passionate about. So it depends. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and I love the, the statistics you, you put to that. 
12 to 20% more productive. Man, if I could be, what's the middle of that? Say 17 and a half. If I could be 17% more productive, oh, I'd, I'd be a happy boss. Exactly. And but, your team, and your yeah. team being that way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm really, really lucky because my, my team is all very highly seasoned, high-performing folks. But yeah, if I, if I had a more junior team, I'd be really worried about this for sure. Yes. And here's another soft skill regarding teams. When you hire, when people come for job interviews and, and you have to pick who to hire, you know, some people are really good at selling themselves and smooth talking and being flamboyant and charismatic. Are you, you don't know whether they're going to be able to deliver, if they're going to be able to back it up. Or, and, and are you able to pick up and say, wait a minute, the way this person is saying, they really align with our goals, the way that the things they're passionate about outside of just what they studied, is, it, it really aligns with our goals as a business, what we're trying to do. So when you can pick those nuances up and not just the stuff on the resume, that's another skill. The people reading, so to speak. Yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. People, people reading in an interview is, is really good. I, I teach a behavioral interviewing course, which is mainly about gathering objective data about what the person has done in the past to determine what they can do for you in the future. But I also mention the fact that you know gut feel has a very small part to play, but it's still there. So, mm-hmm. so being able to read people is, is good. Yes. All right. Let's talk about you a little bit. Tell us about your free offer. Okay. So one of the things I do besides the soft skills is actual public speaking, actual people coming to me and say, I heard this, I must give a speech. What should I do? Or for instance, one of my recent clients is someone who she knows her material. She studied PhD in organizational psychology. So she knows what she was talking about, but she said, I don't know how to have a strong introduction. It's going to be on Zoom. I want to make sure I capture their attention. How do I finish strong? How do I start strong? And what she had originally when she came to me was just the theory of what she studied and how things are supposed to work. There was no storytelling. There was no examples. She had the data, but it was theoretical. And for someone like me who didn't study, I may not have studied organizational psychology, but I understand workplace culture since the podcast. But anybody who's not even at that level was just going to hear numbers and it was just going to one ear and going to come out of the other. So those are the things that I help people with mainly. Or Also, they are asked at work to make a presentation. Go and present to this potential client. Tell them what we do. If you just do with numbers, 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 or data, data, or your technical expertise, it's not going to sync. So there are some key elements you need to have for the lay, what we call the layman, in layman's terms, for people to understand. So at today, if anybody's listening, they have a free 30-minute call with me to either learn how to give a speech if they're required to, or a presentation at work if they're required to. And if there's a manager who thinks, you know, I was put into this job because I'm really good at my job, but this managing people thing, that's the soft skills that I need to work on. That's also a 30-minute call that we can have with them. Yes. Wonderful. Well, that's, it's, it's generous of you to, to give that away. So thank you for that. Um, my, my listeners will appreciate that. My pleasure. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Roberta. I really enjoyed this. It was fascinating. I learned a ton. 
How can people find you if they want to learn more? I had a great time as well, Eric. Thank you so much for having me on the show. On Instagram, I am all small letters, no characters in between. It's just pure alphabets. Coach and speaker, one word. Coach and speaker on Instagram. And then on LinkedIn, my name, Roberta Ndela. I think I'm the only one on LinkedIn. You know how usually when you, if you write Paul Smith, there's going to be a hundred of them. I think I'm the only Roberta Ndela on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn and Instagram, coach and speaker. All right. Great. Well, thank you. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Please subscribe, comment, share, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Watch for my book, Lead Like a Pro, The Essential Guide for New Managers. It is coming soon. It's coming out September 20th. I just got my uh, my proof copy today. So I am actually holding my book in my hand, and I'm very excited. I have to go through it and, and proof it, and then uh, we'll be ready to go to print. So that is super exciting. We will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Management Development Unlocked. Want more? Get a ton of insider tips and tools at GerardTrainingSolutions.com. 